0: Welcome to Virtual Student Experiences, where we inspire students to aspire. For more information, please check out our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another Virtual Student Experiences Season 2 webinar. Today's webinar will focus on social justice. If you guys are new to our program, Virtual Student Experiences is a pro bono initiative spearheaded for students by students. And we at Virtual Student Experiences want to be the inspiration for aspiration. Our goal is to give students around the world an opportunity to hear from professionals in their career industry of interest in a friendly and casual setting. And if you're a student knows what you want to do in the future, we at VSC want to encourage, allow, and connect with professionals. And through VSC, students are given the chance to decide if their career choice fits their personality, skills, and really overall interests. And through VC, you'll be able to hear from a wide variety of guests from a wide variety of seniority levels. To find out more information and to be notified about other webinars, you can visit our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. But before we get started, I just want to let you all know how this is going to work. Firstly, I'm going to be asking our guest professional that I'll introduce in a second a series of base knowledge questions that, so that you can get a good idea of who she is and what she does. I'm real quickly just introducing our core team of volunteers. We have Beckett, Gabby, Jonathan, Coco, Tommy, and Audrey. And without further ado, our very special guest for today is Maria Taher. Ms. Taher is an expert in gender-based violence and has been for the past decade been teaching, researching, developing programs, and directly servicing that issue. Ms. Taher received her MFA in creative writing at Lesley University, receiving the Graduate School of Arts and School Sciences Dean's Merit Scholarship and the Lesley University Graduate Student Leadership Award. She then went on to receive a master's in social work from San Francisco State University and a BA from the UC Santa Barbara in New Religious Studies. Ms. Taher has since held and continues to hold positions as the co-founder and U.S. executive director of Seho, narrative liaison at Topos Partnership, advisory board member at NFGM slash U.S. Network, contract facilitator at Send Story Center, and board of directors member at Cayman's Common Writers. Because of her dedication towards the issue, Ms. Tanger has become very successful at benefiting the issue of FGC, that she's so strongly advocates for. So we are very happy to have you today, Ms. Tanger. Thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to speak.
0: Awesome. So just, just to start us off, can you tell us what social justice is and how you got into that field?
1: Sure. Um, so social justice is definitely a very broad term. You know, it is, I think, it's it's the view that everyone deserves um, equal economic, political, and social rights, or more along, it's the field of equity. So I think social justice compa- composes a lot of different issue areas. In, in particular, I work in a lot of areas around gender-based violence and really looking at how um, gender norms contribute to continuing violence and the idea that um, everyone has the right or human rights um, to freedom of violence. But in general, social justice, again, is a very broad term, but it is something that I think overall, you could say that it is toward working towards equity for um, all of humanity in various ways.
0: And then can you tell us where your passion for the social justice began?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's not something that I knew off the bat that this was my passion area, but I think it really began with my family history. So I grew up in a family that was very, um, very giving. And I grew up with this story, actually, of my my grandfather, who I never met. And he was a judge from India. And unfortunately, he um, was poisoned when my dad was 15 years old. And after his death, um, the family learned that he had been giving Um, So he was helping, you know, poor families to make sure they support, they have food on the table. He was helping students go to, or would-be students go to school to become doctors and lawyers. But our family had no idea that he was doing this. It was only after his death that um, various people were coming up to the family and kind of asking, like, what happened to the money and also just, you know, giving condolences. And that's when our family learned about his charitable givings. And I grew up with that story, and I think it really shaped my idea of giving. And my father is also very much a community supporter in terms of just giving to a lot of different fields. And that was something that, as I grew up, I always I knew about that. And I think it shaped subconsciously my desire to be a, something in the humanitarian profession. And I wasn't quite sure exactly what it was. And then later on, um, it wasn't actually until after college that, and I went to UC Santa Barbara, as you mentioned, so after college, that I started recognizing that I had an interest in nonprofit work, and then slowly um, found an internship, which I'm happy to talk about later on, but it was at the American Red Cross, and that internship made me understand I really wanted to go into social work, and then I ended up going for my master's at social work, and then that's when I learned about, you know, that I had an interest in gender-based violence, and just sort of um had a ripple effect afterwards and, I, and I'm happy to go into that but that's just kind of briefly what led me to this path.
0: Awesome that's a really inspiring story and i I guess in your journey have you do you think that there's any really prerequisites in order to enter into the field of uh, social work?
1: I I don't Think so. I do think you have to have a passion for this area. It is very easy to get burned out, and many people do get burned out. And when I talk about social work, social work is very broad as well. And I think um, when people first think about social work, they think about direct services, meaning clinical services. So, like, um, you know, being um, a, a You could go into the field of counseling therapy. There are folks who have MSW, the Master of Social Work, that do clinical practice in that way. Then there are also other folks that do direct services known as like case management. So they might work at um, Child Protective Services offices, things like that, too. But uh, I did a social work degree in administration and planning. And that was because I was very interested more on the macro level. How do organizations work? How do nonprofits work? How does policy work in terms of you know, advancing social justice issues? And that was, and I consider myself a social worker, but I think that that's just um, something that is definitely, it, it's definitely good to understand that it's a very broad field. And I do think that people that enter the field um, they have some sort of passion, and it generally comes from, unfortunately, some sort of experience um, You know that might have happened in their personal lives, either to them or to people they know, and, and in gender-based violence work. And I've worked from domestic violence to sexual assault organizations to my current nonprofit, SEO, and we work on the issue of um, female genital cutting or mutilation. And all across all of those organizations, many people who enter it, do have that personal reference, and they have this passion to want to change things, to want to change culture and society in that way. So I do feel like that's an important prerequisite. Um, other than that, I think getting experiences any way you can in terms of you know connecting with organizations and individuals that are doing this—that's always great and trying things out. Um, but I don't. I think in general there isn't any significant like prerequisite. If you want to go further, like I did, you can go get a master's of social work if you would like to, but there are other ways to be a social justice advocate.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome, and then is there a specific mindset that you have to have? And can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I do feel like, um, going back to my last question and just talking about burnout, I, I have de- I have to admit that I have been burnt out before. And one of the lessons that I've learned is really being able to take care of yourself and practice self-care. So that's a word that we use a lot in the social justice field is self-care. And we recognize that that's important because social justice issues oftentimes have a huge emotional, mental impact on you, um, not just from you know the folks that your communities you're working with, um, but maybe your own personal issues. And so knowing how to step back and take care of yourself, whether that means hanging out with a friend or reading a book is very important. So I think that finding that, that mindset, recognizing that balance between your passion and your work, and then also how do you take your care of yourself so that you can continue that work is really important. Um, and then two other things I think are just Persistence in like being opened <laughs> or having an open mind because um, I do feel like with the mindset of persistence There'll be setbacks. there will be challenging frustrating days that goes back to the idea of self-care But if it is something you're interested in Then I think you can you have to you have to be persistent you have to be able to um, Figure out what do you need to continue in this work and it could just be that you know if you're doing direct services and working with a client, maybe you have have a frustrating experience with that client and then you need to talk to a team member or somebody like that. But I do think there are certain mindsets that um, like persistence, you know, knowing yourself, taking care of yourself, those types of things are just really important.
0: And then I guess looking towards your, your education in terms of your college, can you speak about maybe some of the most important lessons that you took away from them and uh, maybe some of the most important lessons that still help you today?
1: Yeah, I, so when I was at UC Santa Barbara, I, um, I was very shy, <laughs> I was shy growing up too, and it did take me a little while before I got more involved in campus life and in school activities, and one of my first positions was um, other than, it was actually a first school job other than um, Um, tutoring or babysitting was being an academic peer advisor at my um, specific College of Letters and Science within UC Santa Barbara and that gave me this opportunity to build leadership skills and to be able to work with other students and really thinking about what are how do they meet their academic needs and that also just kind of opened up my own like mind in terms of recognizing that you can study various majors and things like that at college, and school, I think it's not just about the classes that you're taking, which are important, obviously, um, but it's also about the social, emotional benefits you gain from, you know, experiences, and that means connecting with other students, those work experiences that you might have, those activities, you know, school clubs, activities that you might have, too, um, the networks you make. So if you have internships or some making you know connections with people your cohort too all of those things really were important and i don't think i really quite understood that until i got involved um with that first job at college and that led that opened up the door to me being involved in other activities on campus too such as i was part of orientation staff that helped incoming students come into school incoming freshmen come into college and you know how do they register for classes what is campus life like and things like that Um, and other opportunities as well but I think about that because that really did shape my path in terms of the other activities that I did in college which eventually led to my first real like adult job after college and that kind of led to then me doing this internship also at american red cross and then to social work but i do i feel like it shaped a lot of what i did and, and it's interesting because i wouldn't i didn't know that at the time it's only in looking back now that i recognize
0: all of that and then of the, i mean of the four languages that you speak can you tell us like which of them do you find to be the most important or the most useful?
1: Yeah, um, so I grew up in a, I was born in the U.S., but my parents are from India, and they are from a Muslim community, which speaks a language called um, Dautanizabhan. It's a very small language, but they also speak something called Gujarati, and I grew up learning that language. And then my dad's side of the family speaks a language called Urdu, um, I can actually understand them quite well. I don't speak them as well, um, but that's also something that I think it helps me. It helps me understand different cultures and communities. I think learning languages in general helps you speak different language, um, understand different communities, and it gives you a broader global perspective about the world we're living in. Uh, but one thing that I found interesting about the languages, I also grew up learning how to read and write. Arabic, but I actually can't speak Arabic. Um, But one thing that I learned when I was in college, one of my minors, so I was a religious studies major, but then I had two minors, and one of them was sociocultural linguistics. And I remember sitting in a class, and they were talking about language patterns from um, first generation to second generation, particularly when you move to other um, countries where, you know, the 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 language of your ancestry might not be the dominant language anymore. And um, I had always kind of struggled with the fact that I couldn't speak it as fluently as I could, but I could understand everything. And I, in that class, I just, I recognized that um, it was the first time where they said, this is actually very common. <laughs> and this is something that happens. And it sort of helped me shape my identity in a way in terms of recognizing that I'm it's, I've kind of gone away from the, the purpose of your question but like or your original question but it just it helped me recognize that um, I don't know that that I, I grew up in this very multicultural global experience that I'm so happy about even if I can't speak it fluently and that being able to recognize and be comfortable with other cultures and communities is just something that, I need in my own professional life now, too, because I work with so many communities and cultures from all across the globe, too. Hmm,
0: That's really inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing that. And then I guess for students and people that are monolingual, would you suggest uh, them learning languages? And if so, maybe which languages?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely encourage learning languages. I think that there's so many languages out there it's hard to like recommend a certain language but I do think that um you know I, I, I in high school I learned Spanish but I and I feel like I, I'm from California originally and so Spanish felt like very important to learn there and I do feel like that's a really great useful skill but I also think it's um great to learn languages that you know, you have an interest in, I have, I have friends that had random interest in Russian, but they weren't really going to Russia, but they were hoping so in the future and they wanted to learn that. Uh, but I went to Senegal, which is a French speaking country. And that was the first time I recognized that, or I realized that French is another language that it's just um, very much a global language that would be important to learn. But again, I, I think in general learning languages is, is great in terms of opening up your mind to other cultures.
0: Awesome. And then I guess focusing a little bit on your experiences, can you tell us about your role as the U.S. Executive Director of SEO and your responsibilities and the skills that you use there?
1: Sure. So at SEO, financial and programmatic oversight of the the entire organization. So that means that I look to make sure that you know our programs are functioning well that um and our staff are carrying out the responsibilities that they're supposed to be carrying out if there are challenges that come up that we talk through those challenges i also look at the financial oversight and health of our organization so we're constantly um budgeted. we're doing a lot of things with budgeting and numbers but also um we do a lot of future planning because to you know sustain our organization we do rely on um, donations and funding, so building a lot of partnerships with um, funders, or uh, looking at other ways to um, extend our programs, but by, by partnering with other organizations or whatnot. But it's just, it just—it is a lot of—it's it, a. I never actually thought I would be a an executive director. I very much like um, program planning more. So I, I in terms of um, being able to develop programs. Um, and thinking about from the macro level who do you want to serve who do you want this to help um but with the executive director role you you have to kind of be cognizant of the the organization's entire health and um really just that is an added pressure that i'm continually learning how to do as well
0: awesome and then for your experiences and role at C. Um, can you touch on that and your responsibilities and role there?
1: Yeah, so it's the U.S. and FGMC network, and it is a coalition-based organization. So that means that it is, um, it, it's organ. Its mission is to really raise awareness of FGMC across the U.S. and internationally. But also, uh, when I say FGMC, I, I mean uh, female genital mutilation slash cutting, which is what. Um, female genital cutting which I referred to earlier is also known as. And um, really it helps to make connections and collaborations with organizations and individuals across the US who are working on this issue. So we have, I think about 60 member organizations at this time across the US and they vary from various fields from the health sector to government to community um, support organizations or what we call civil society. Two survivors as well who are included in there and law enforcement also so variety of societies and i sit on the steering committee um, and just help shape the strategic direction of the organization so that means like thinking you know thinking about high level how is this organization going to help foster those connections and collaboration and really advance this mission that we have to um support survivors but also to put an end to the, the the harmful social practice the social norm um practice that is female genital cutting or mutilation um, and so yeah that's, that's kind of basically what i do um is really provide that high level strategic overview for the entire organization
0: and then just looking big picture um, can you tell us about the top three skills that you use every single day
1: yeah um uh, I think communication for sure that's just i you have to be a good communicator, both orally um written um, and I think that that communication falls in line with another skill with just collaborating um which to do this work, you can't just work in a vacuum, you have to build partnerships with others and you need to be able to communicate well to be able to build those partnerships, um, as well as to be able to work with teams. And uh, there are a of, you know, written skills come in handy from everything from writing the, the, the hundreds of emails that you write weekly to things like, uh, today I was working on um, a funding proposal. So writing that funding proposal to um, uh, sending out newsletters to all of your supporters about the work that you're doing so it's just it's a variety of important written skills that you need and then being able to be able to you know build relationships with other organizations and individuals and the the communities you want to serve that's just so important and then i think the third one would be um Thinking about conflict resolution, or, if, or how do you handle conflict resolution? Because you will have challenges, and since you are working with a team of varying people, people have different personalities, and you know they have different work ethics, and you have to really figure out how can you overcome um, any challenges that might present itself in a variety of ways, and making sure that you, you know practice direct communication meaning we're not just avoiding those issues that we're actually talking about them and um, figuring out how can we resolve any potential issue whether it's interpersonal relationships between team members or you know something with our program or with our partners or anything like that Um, just having good conflict resolution skills is is so so important
0: and then obviously the pandemic has really changed all of our daily lives by quite a bit but can you tell us about how your life has changed and what it looked like what your job and day-to-day looks like before the pandemic and um what it looks like now yeah um i always say
1: that so i worked remotely before the pandemic too but i always say there's a difference between pre-pandemic remote working and remote working now pre-pandemic remote working you know we would i would have days where i am on video calls i'm working at my my computer you know um i'm constantly on calls with people or on whatsapp or texting with people from various different country time time um, zones as well so just having to figure out how to balance all of that and that hasn't changed that's still happening what has changed is that prior to the pandemic My time was um, also balanced with a lot of in-person events and conferences. And so I traveled a lot for my work, um, both domestically, you know, throughout the U S and also internationally. And unfortunately that has changed. So I have not been doing any traveling, but no one in my, my sector, um, not just within FGC, you know, I think in social services and humanitarian services, it's very rare to be traveling right now. Uh, Every, meeting every conference, um, all of SEO's programming that we're doing, everything is virtual now. Uh, So it's just, it's unfortunate, I'm glad that we're able to continue programming in that way. And we're able to build partnerships and go to conferences in that way still, but it is, um, there always is something different about in person and building that relationship versus, being able to do it virtually. So that's just something that has changed drastically and we're still getting used to, but we are trying to find ways to, because to just keep that human connection alive. It's just, it's so important. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the day when we can go back and work together in person and have in-person events again too.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, everything moved to online and I know Uh, Especially for me living in Hawaii, uh, our tourism numbers went down by a lot. I bet. But I guess just um, for you, can you offer some suggestions or words of inspiration for aspiring social justice advocates?
1: Yeah, I think that if there's an issue you know you're passionate about, learn more about it, you know. You can do a simple first step by just doing a Google search. I actually did that when I was starting to learn more about female general cutting. you know, it was I wanted, um, I think I was in high school. I, I started Googling it and wanting to learn more. And then I think if you know you're interested in a particular area or you want to learn more about how do you find solutions or make a social change in that area, whatever your social justice issue is, whether it's something like gender violence related to mental health to um, substance abuse anything you know um, economic inequality uh, then figure out if there are organizations or individuals you know that you can connect with and you can reach out to either just maybe to talk to them about their professional experiences which I think that's a great reason that this program <laughs> exists or maybe see if there's volunteer opportunities or an internship or something that you can do just to get a taste of what that field is like and what it would be like to work in it. But I definitely think keep learning, keep trying to get experiences and you know don't don't get when you get frustrated, just make sure that you, you figure out what you can do to take care of yourself, but keep keep going at it because everybody has setbacks and failures, but it's you know it's important to keep moving forward. Um, and I think that's that's how you'll get to where you want to be.
0: Most definitely. I mean thank you so much for offering that. Um, just to close this off, can you tell us or uh, give us some advice on what courses or clubs students should partake in, and what the typical path that a successful social justice advocate such as yourself takes?
1: Wonderful question. <laughs> I think it goes back to my find your passion area, and then like like I, what I said um, when I was in college, I, I got a late start in getting involved in campus activities, but. I I did find once I did, it just, it really helped me blossom in terms of developing leadership skills, you know, developing friendships too, um, thinking about what are next opportunities that I can do. Um, so I think that in whatever age you're in, you know, school, if there are activities at your school, there are clubs at your school that you're interested in get involved try them out um, you're not going to know what you like or what you don't like until you do that um, if there are activities not at your school but there are other activities like like i said like organizations or um, groups that you want to get involved in reach out to them and don't be don't be scared to do it it can be intimidating sometimes but you know it doesn't hurt to to email someone to call somebody to just ask about that, too. I do think that's just really important. I do think that experiences are in general are important, even sometimes, you know, doing the things that make you scared. (laughs) Those are some of the most important experiences too. I told you I was shy and terrified of public speaking and I like made myself do public speaking until I don't love it. I mean, still I, get, I can sometimes get nervous, but I'm a lot more comfortable with it than I was growing up. And I think, yeah, just don't stop trying new
0: experiences. Awesome! Thank you so much for that. Um, we appreciate the time that you've been able to share with us here today, along with the um, really inspiring and insightful stories that you were able to share with us. And I'm sure that the the students that were able to join us today and the students that will Really, view this later, we'll be able to greatly benefit from what you were able to share with us today. So, I thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: Um, my pleasure. I'm glad to have
0: been able to speak with you. Alrighty, thank you so much. Have a nice rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye bye.